this episode, we're going to talk about something that everybody wants and everybody needs, and that is money. Of course, money. This is going to be the theme for the next couple episodes, so this is kind of a primer for what we're going to see over the next couple weeks. Now, money, which I hope each and every one of you has a little bit in your wallet, has been the bedrock of financial transactions for almost 6,000 years. The Mesopotamians invented currency as we currently know it. Um, There have of course been representative value currencies dating well back into history and prehistory for that matter. There are well-documented trades of things representing value, for example beads and shells and such other items which are purely denominational and have no practical value, but represent trading value in the eyes of the person doing the trading. Which means, if I have 16 pretty shells, and you have a chicken that I might want, keep in mind chickens are going to come back a lot in this episode, you might be willing to trade me that chicken for my 16 beads or 16 shells, because those shells and those beads are rare in your village. So you'll be able to parade them as the status of your wealth, and in return, I get a chicken for its eggs and its meats, and whatever else I might get out of a chicken. So, money as a medium of trade basically has been around for pretty much as far back in prehistory and history as far as we can see. Even the Neanderthals, 30,000 to almost 100,000 years ago, had some idea of representative wealth because they would paint their dead with red ochre, which shows that the dead were symbolically valued to the living. They had some value beyond what their bones or remains indicated. Now, this representative value is a reification. It is surely in the mind of the person who is putting the value on that given piece of artifact, piece of coinage, piece of whatever it is. Now, for proof of this, for those of you that can, and for those that you can't, because perhaps you're very well off and you don't need to carry cash, or perhaps you're not very well off and you don't have any, please imagine this thought experiment. Take out any dollar bill, $10, $20, $50, doesn't matter the denomination, and any coin that you may happen to have. Put them side by side, and I want you to look at them very carefully. The coin probably has something artistic on one side, 
and a denominal representation on the other side, be it five cents, 10 cents, 25 cents, whatever it might be. The dollar bill has beautiful graphics and a big display that indicates what it's worth. But there's one key difference between the dollar bill and the coin. The coin stands alone. The coin itself represents its value. As a matter of fact, our terms for the coins represent what the values are. We call a five cent piece a nickel. For those of us that still have pennies, we call them a copper. Because in olden times, they were made of, respectively, nickel and copper. And were meant to represent a fixed amount of those exact amounts. Five cents being five cents worth of nickel, penny being a penny's worth of copper. A dollar bill, as rare as those are nowadays, a five dollar bill, which would be more common, has to have a little stipulation added to it. It says in beautiful, number, beautiful letters, this is legal tender, which is the government's way of telling you, yes, this piece of paper has our blessing, has our permission to be used as a method of transaction. So by those words, this is legal tender, performs a magical ceremony, a magical rite. It transforms that piece of paper from something that you and I can pick up at the local store to something sacred, something that represents time and value and effort. This is legal tender means that piece of paper now has value and value that can be negotiated for goods and services. That $5 bill, which I hope in time this show will hold up with age, but considering a $5 bill, $10 bill, whatever it may be worth in the future, holds up to its current value, will buy you a couple of cups of coffee. Um, in terms of wages per hour, in rather less savory places, shall we say, that $5 is roughly what you'll make in an hour. In better places, you'll make four or five of those in a single hour of labor. That is how your labor is actually measured, in how many of these pieces of paper your hours worth of labor, whatever you're doing, be it physically lifting boxes from one place to another, or <clears throat> crunching spreadsheets, programming, whatever your particular skill set may be, still comes down to the number of stacks of paper per hour your skill is valued by a particular company or government agency or perhaps non-government agency. Whatever the case may be, that is basically what modern society is based around. These pieces of paper, currency as it is known. But inroads are already being made into currency. In the past, as a matter of, path, as a matter of fact, for the past hundred years, two hundred years or so, actually I believe that dates back to the Chinese and initially using paper currency, and I can't remember how far back, but I believe it's almost a thousand years ago. Anyone is free to correct me on that. But uh, the Chinese initially were the ones to use paper currency. Of course, since the emperor personally signed off on those notes, those were sacred. Those were endorsed by the God Emperor himself. 
and as such they were touched by the god emperor and gained their value through a nuministic process for those of you not familiar with the word nuministic means making something holy because the emperor himself was a representative of the gods of creation in our modern society we don't place quite so much stock in the gods of creation a great number of people are atheists and the remainder attend their denomination of choice be it a church a synagogue a mosque a temple whatever it might be only on ceremonies of major importance an easter a passover an eid something like that so a lot of these people have gone away from the idea of the god emperor's blessing the king the the priestly elect sanctifying their money into what we now have in the modern age which is a central bank on behalf supposedly on behalf of the central government issuing pieces of paper that the government certifies represents their particular value on a dollar's worth <clears throat> now what is a dollar's worth it changes all the time generally the dollar value declines over time there's many factors that contribute to this but the primary one is essentially because prices keep going up every time somebody tries to save a dollar the dollar the, the amount of the dollar is worth goes down when somebody tries to cut a corner and pay one person a penny less the amount that person makes is slightly worth less that person in turn goes out and tries to buy <clears throat> a penny less worth of canned tuna of canned salmon whatever it is that they're trying to get to get by and they're trying to get one little bit of a better deal than the person next to them and thus over time the dollar devalues now this ironically shows up as inflation because while a dollar buys less the product seems to cost more our value as people in time that we're investing into a project whatever that project may be let's just say you and i the listener at home and myself open a business whatever we sell however much time we devote into it we will get paid less and less for that same product year after year just simply because of the deflation of the product's value and the deflation of the dollar our expenses however will increase because we'll need to be hiring people at higher rates we'll be needing to buy prices and parts that are more expensive to make our product or buying services that are more expensive to market our product and because of that our expenses go up the value goes down what is the only way that we have to recoup our currency raise our prices now anyone who's been to the grocery store in the past couple of years take a look at your common items that are around the store a packet of bacon a packet of eggs some bagels some coffee whatever it might be you might cast your memory back to a couple of years ago you'll think hey I used to get that pack of bacon for $2 and now it's $5. Hey, that pack of bagel that was worth 99 cents is now worth $2. And this is all within the past couple of years. I'm not going 10 years back. I'm going two, three, five years back at the very most. And this is because, like I said, 
we're in this eternal process of deflating our own value in terms of what we produce and what we make, and more importantly, what a dollar is worth. Your legal tender is not worth the legal paper it is printed on, whereas the coin, at least, has some residual value. Now, I point to the coin in particular because there's been a little resurgence in the value of coins lately. Not so much for the collectors, like me, for example. I have a 1943 50-cent piece, which is virtually worth the 50 cents that was printed on way back in the day. Coin collecting is not a rewarding hobby. Let me recommend anybody who out there is considering out there, if you're interested in it, do it solely for the sake of the art. Don't do it for any value. It is not worth your time unless you get something so ridiculously rare and incredible, it will blow your mind. But coins retain their value. A 25 cent piece is still worth the 25 cents. And in the past, in the 1930s and 1990s, when respectively the world went into recession and when the United sorry the USSR's economy collapsed paper money became worthless literally worthless overnight the famous example is of course germany in the 1930s where you would have to have a bucket full of dollar bills 5 dollar bills whatever it was to buy a loaf of bread because legal tender as much as it was endorsed by the government and sanctified by whatever holy regiment they had, was simply not worth what it was to have a single piece of bread. This is why I laugh at the gold bugs and the people who say, oh, gold is recession-proof, gold is with currency that will take you to the future. Absolutely no, it is not. Let's consider a worst-case scenario. Let's go back to us negotiating again for the chicken. I have a chicken, you have a piece of gold. But for whatever reason, there's been a disaster in the world. The financial systems are stricken. Your dollars are valueless. You have a piece of gold, I have a chicken. Now, what's in it for me to trade you my chicken that gives me eggs and will eventually give me meat for your little lump of metal? Realistically, there is no value because you're not very likely to trade this previously $2,000 resource for a $20 chicken, and even if you were willing to trade it, you'd probably want some change. Now, how exactly do you make change in a world where it's a complete barter economy? When I can't split a chicken up and say, okay, you give me your gold and I'll give you half the chicken and I give you half the gold back. No, it doesn't work that way. You can't cut gold in half in that situation. I don't necessarily have silver on hand to give you change. I don't have gold pieces. All these things come into play in a barter economy, which is what the gold bugs, which is the nickname for people who believe gold will see them through the worst time, think is going to take place. Oh, if they have the gold, they'll have all the wealth in the world. Yeah, you might be very wealthy in terms of gold, but what are you going to do with it? Who's going to trade with you? Nobody except for people with other gold. And the same is true with currency. Currency trades with currency. In the regular world, we use it. Every day we take out our $5 bill, we buy our cup of coffee. And quite honestly, that's all it is 
It's just a symbolic representation of everything that we have. This is called a fiat currency, which fiat means basically representative. As I've described previously, it represents the government's investment in saying you have invested that much money in whatever it is. In the past little bit, there's been this increase in the amount of what's called cryptocurrencies. Now, cryptocurrencies are a rather interesting new development, and right now I'm highly skeptical of them. Because while the Bitcoin, for example, has reached astounding values, I personally predicted it would peak in 2014. I was completely wrong in that prediction. I take complete I take complete responsibility for that particular failure in my predictions. But the same token, while Bitcoin may be established, and I grant that it's established now, it is not the only cryptocurrency out there anymore. There's a thousand of them, and who knows which one's going to be around today, tomorrow, whatever it may be, whatever value it may be worth. The market is completely dictating the value of these cryptocurrencies and what their relationship is to real-world currency. You see, cryptocurrencies are the perfect example of what something is worth in a representative sense. If I have one Bitcoin, pretend for a second, back again with the chicken. If I have a Bitcoin and you have a chicken, how do we figure out the worth of a Bitcoin relative to a chicken without the internet? Because you can use Bitcoins in a virtual wallet. You can use a Bitcoin in a completely sterile environment devoid of the internet. And the chicken is still the chicken. So my Bitcoin, which I claim is worth $2,000 in the internet, and you should be giving me 20 chickens. You, as a farmer, with your chicken, are saying, well, that chicken, that chicken's done me a lot of laying over the years. It's still pretty good. And I don't really have much use for that Bitcoin. Or perhaps as a farmer, you do have use for a Bitcoin. And you say, well, I could use that Bitcoin, but uh, this chicken's here is still a good chicken. See, and this is the problem with barter economies. This is why Mesopotamia, Babylon, Rome, French Empire, everything up to the present day, one currency constantly gives way to another because the newer currency has more bargaining power than the last one did. And right now, the current, and I say specifically current crop of cryptocurrency doesn't really stack up to the dollar bills in the modern environment. Because a dollar bill, again, I can walk into Starbucks, to Tim Hortons, to whatever coffee place you might care to mention, Williams Coffee Pub, and I can get myself a cup of coffee with little negotiation, if any. Actually, I can't recall the last time I've negotiated coffee with a coffee with price with somebody. I walk in, I say, I want a double-double, hand them my money, I get my double, we'll walk out. Try that again with any currency you name and the chicken that you need to survive. I'm using the chicken analogy a lot. Sorry, I am beating it into your head just because that's how critical I want things to be. You can substitute the chicken for anything you need to survive, be it water, fire, clothing, a place to live, whatever it might be, that chicken just is holding its place for something we can all agree on has value for its eggs, for its meat, 
even for its down. You need a pillow to sleep on, and chicken down is not the worst thing in the world for fluffing up a pillow. That all being said, currency flows through our veins as a modern economy. If you turned to a peasant in the 16th century and said, what do you do with your gold coins? And they'd probably say, oi, I pay them to the king. Personally, I trade with Farmer John over there, and I get hemp, so which I turn into rope, in return which I give him a steer, which he used to plow his hemp. And that was the way things used to work, until relatively recently. Now, is this an improvement? I would actually say yes. Currency overall is an improvement. Barter is such a subjective thing. Without access to the wider world, it's impossible to know what something is worth. I could easily tell you that a winter hat might be worth a dollar, and at minus 40 degrees outside, it's going to be worth a lot more than a dollar to you. Again, supply, demand, currency. It's an almost unbreakable cycle, except what comes next? After capitalism, which is what's going to be coming shortly, or should I rather say a two-tiered capitalism, which we will cover in a future episode within the next week or two, we're going to see that currencies are going to become the domain of the keepers. See, banks are already investing in cryptocurrencies. They've already got their stockpiles of bitcoins. They've seen the potential that they have, and they've hoarded what they can out of the market. There have been people who have made fortunes off of hoarding them and then selling them to banks, and the banks are always just predatory enough, and I don't use predatory in a derogatory sense, but just like an animal, like a lion stalks its prey and jumps on at the precise right time. The banks are smart enough. They've already done this. They've got their hoard of cryptocurrency, and they're ready to keep it and use it on the market when it's necessary. So for those of you who think cryptocurrency is your safe haven from the stock market's ups and lows, the market's up and downs, and whatever happens to your local currency, be it dinars, be it dollars, whatever it might be, the fact is the banks are already five steps ahead of you. So, currency, money, legal tender, whatever you might call it, it's in your wallet, whether it's on your card, as a virtual currency that you plug into a machine, it says interacts accepted, credit accepted, whatever it says, that's still your money. And that currency is what we're going to discuss over the next couple weeks. Now, what I urge you to do is stand up, take count of yourself and your assets. What are your assets? What is your legal tender and what can you really do with it? Because as always in this show, we want everybody to stand up. We want you to stand up just like our theme song says. Stand up by Pipe Choir, who we thank once again for contributing the anthem for this show that we use to remind you every single week, stand up for your rights, stand up for your currency, stand up for your right to know what's going on inside of your wallet. A special thanks, as always, to a View From Space Facebook group and, of course, Spooky, Weird, and Cool Facebook group. 
both of whom have been instrumental in this show from the very beginning. Uh, if you appreciate what the show host has been doing, upon Amazon's Kindle software, there's a book available called Cemetery Island by Jeff Williams. And it's a suspense horror book. If you prefer something a little more along the revelatory conspirac conspiratorial vein, there's The Secrets of Solomon, again by Jeff Williams on Amazon Kindle, which explores, it's an expose on the king of Israel from 3,000 years ago that might shed some rather interesting insights on his life. In a few weeks, well, weeks to a few months, by the end of May, we'll put it that way, I will be releasing Age of Ashes, which will be a post-apocalyptic story. Something I hope will keep the thriller part of the genre going, and something I hope every single one of you enjoys. But most importantly, thank everybody, thank you all, for inviting just another conspiracy show into your house tonight.